Amen. Who is like our God? No one can compare. If you can't tell, I am not the senior pastor here. My name is Trey Heyman. I am the minister of students. And I told Nate Burbank when I saw him this morning that him and I changed outfits this morning. I usually don't have my shirt tucked in or wear a coat. So, and he usually does. So we figured we would change this week, I guess. I feel like I should just invite Martha Buckner to come back up here and invite us all to come and sit and listen to the word of God. You know, hearing how excited those kids are as they run down the aisle and then raise their hands as soon as someone asks the question inspires me to approach sitting in the presence of God like that. The intimacy and nearness of God is a beautiful and incredible thing. And the passage we're reading today is all about that. And I want you to know, starting off, that God is here in this place with us. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Whether you are or not, you reflect the image of God into this world, and we come to know God better because of you. And collectively, as Christians, we make up the body of Christ, so we literally model who Jesus is to each other and to the world. So today, as we get ready to approach God's word, let us approach it with humble expectation that God will speak, eager to learn. Uh, to be honest with you, I scrapped everything I had written yesterday at about 11.30 a.m. Uh, I was praying and just felt the Spirit prompting me to stay close to the vine, to stay as close to it as possible. So today, more than any point I can give you, I want to invite you to look at a story with me, the story of the vine. And the story of the vine goes from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, through the creation of the first humans, through Israel to Jesus, the true vine, and on into new creation, where the old garden will be restored and it will be far better than we can imagine. So, as we get ready to approach God's word in honor of it, will you stand with me as we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. I'll say this is the word of the Lord, if you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Lord God, you are far more wonderful than we can even fathom. As we get ready to talk about your word, I pray that you speak to us. Pray that the words that come out of my mouth are of you and everything else fades away. Open up our hearts to receive what you have in store for us. Open us up to hear your word, open us up to go even more so and live it out into this world that desperately needs to know who you are. And we believe and we come approaching you expectant that you'll show up. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive into the story of the vine, it's important to understand the metaphor that was in this passage in John chapter 15. We see a few key pieces. First, we've got the vine, which is Jesus. We've got the branches, which is us, people. Then we've got the fruit, which is obedience to God and the advancement of his kingdom. And then lastly, we have the vine dresser. Now, I grew up on a farm to some extent. We had donkeys and horses and all that stuff, but we didn't have grape vines like this. So vine dresser was kind of an unfamiliar term to me. Does anybody know why a vine needs dressing? Because it doesn't have grape clothes. <laughs> Thanks for that one laugh, Scott. But in all seriousness, the vine dresser is the one who is in charge of making sure that the grapes grow and flourish. The vine dresser, in some translations, is translated as the vine grower, or the farmer, or the gardener. They prune the vines back so that they can grow and flourish into grape clothes, if you will. And that alone is a beautiful image, the vine, right? That we can abide in the very presence of Jesus and apart from him, we can do nothing. But if we stop there, we miss something incredibly beautiful because the story of the vine goes back to the beginning and it starts in a garden. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and made light. He spoke and made water. He spoke and vegetation sprung forth, which brought forth food. And this earth was good. At least that's what God said about it. But it wasn't like the world we know in some ways. It was perfect. There was no pain, there was no hurt, there was no sickness. And then God made the prize of creation. He made human. But this was unlike the other animals that he had already made because with the humans, he took dirt and with a single breath, breathed life into dirt and turned it into human beings. In Hebrew, Adam, mankind. And these were made in the image of God to showcase who God is to all of creation and to each other. But the story of the vine isn't a fairy tale and it doesn't end in this garden. God only told mankind to not do one thing and being humans, like any normal human does, when someone says, don't do this or don't think about that, what do we do? We think about it, we do that thing. No different with Adam and Eve in the garden. They got close and looked at the thing they were not supposed to do and the enemy, the devil, 
whispered in their ears, did, did God really say not to do that thing? And with that seed planted, they gave in, and they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and evil entered into the world. And with that as a consequence, death and pain and heartache and natural disaster, all of those things entered. And God being perfect required perfection. And they caused a divide between them and God where they used to walk with God freely, now there was a divide. And he kicked them out of the garden. But God, being God, was still kind. And a thread from the dirt of the Garden of Eden pushed them forward to the vine. And that's where we come to a man named Jacob. Jacob was a man in the Old Testament who in this beautiful story wrestles with God in the night. And God, once again, being God, won and renamed Jacob Israel, which means he who wrestled with God. Before it was the name of a nation, Israel was the name of a person and a people. All of those who put their trust and faith in the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God who, though we may wrestle and strive and work so hard in the night, our God will triumph in the morning. And we look forward to that. That God went on to reveal himself to Moses is Yahweh, or I am. And this Israel became known as the vine. But the dirt that it was connected to wasn't as good as the dirt that God breathed life into. It still had remnants of what God had created, but it lacked the eternal fruit. Isaiah chapter five says it like this. In verses five to seven, this is God speaking about his vineyard. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You see, on their own, Israel failed miserably to bear lasting fruit. They may bear a little bit of fruit, but it dies in the end. But praise be to God, this is not the end of the story or what the vine is about. In a beautiful contrast to Genesis chapter one, the Gospel of John opens up by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God and the word was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In a beautiful contrast, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that word's name was Jesus, Yeshua, the redeemer, the savior, the rescuer. And he wasn't just the true and better human, the true and better Adam, He was the God of Adam. He was the creator, the one by whom all things were created and everything that was created points to him. The water that was made in the beginning, Jesus went on to say, I am the living water. The light that God spoke into existence, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he also said, now you who are in me are lights. The fruit, the garden that bore 
fruit and food for us to eat. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those things will leave you hungry, but I will sustain you always and forever. He makes a way where there was no way. Our God is far better than we can imagine. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these types of statements and other I am statements. Seven of them, in fact, and this one is the last one. And when Jesus is saying I am, he's not just giving a statement of, his, of who he is or what he's like. When he says I am, he's tying himself back to this old vine, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the great I am. So when Jesus here says, I am the true vine, he's not just saying I am the actual Israel or I am the actual Adam or even just that I am the true and better one. He is saying, I am the God of Israel. I am the God of Adam. I am the one who causes fruit to grow. And unlike Israel, I will not fail to accomplish what I've set out to accomplish because I am, I was, and I always will be. He alone is the source of life. And he is perfect in all of his ways. When he says he is the true vine, it could also be translated as the real vine or the dependable vine, the trustworthy vine. Listen, you can put your hope and trust that a person is going to make things better for you, but they will always fail you in the end. But I can guarantee you this, Jesus will not fail you, even when it feels like he might. He is always, always faithful, and he will accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. And we're not done with this story of the vine yet, and we'll come back to it, but this is where we are today right? That we are the branches in this story. You know, Ann and I, a few weeks ago, we were laying in bed about to go to sleep, and we heard a thump on our roof. And some of you know, our house got broken into not long ago, so we're a little bit jumpy. And so I, you know, being a, being a man, I got up and like walked around. and was like, I'm going to see what's out there, you know, go check the basement. And of course, there's nothing there. It wasn't until a few weeks later that I was driving by my house and I saw this massive tree limb just like sitting on my roof. And you wouldn't believe it, but the tree limb was, uh, it was dead. I don't have to tell you this, it was still physically existing, but it was up there and decaying until I got rid of it. In the same way, branches, us, cannot survive long-term without being connected to the vine. But how often do we go on just physically existing and living until we die instead of being connected to the source and living the abundant life that God has offered us freely in Christ Jesus? If he is the source, if he is the one who causes things to grow, why is it that we invite God to be a part of our plans instead of stepping foot into his plans where he's moving? That's the vine we trust. And what does Jesus say here now in light of this, in light of who he is as the vine and who we are as the branches? He says, bear fruit. No, that's not what the story's about. He says what? He says, abide. Abide in me. Now, abide is not a word we use often. I don't know how many of you use it in a regular day, but that's not a word I ever use outside of the context of 
Christianity. But abide can also be translated as to live or dwell. In the Gospel of John, it's also used where Jesus would go and remain in a place when he was traveling. And interestingly, in biblical Greek, the word is meno. And in modern day Greek, it's very different than biblical Greek, but they still use the word meno to refer to where they live. So if someone in Greece was to tell you where they're from, they would say, I meno in Greece, or I meno in Athens, or whatever, you get the picture. So when Jesus here is saying, abide in me, and I in you, he's saying, live in me as I live in you. He is not saying, and this is really important, he is not saying, live with me. He is saying, live in me, not live with me like he's some roommate that we consult before we go out and do our thing and then come back to and occasionally invite to go out with us. No, he's saying, live in me. Let's track with this for a second. I live in South Nashville in Davidson County in Tennessee in the U.S., in North America, in the world. And I can keep going on. But my God, he holds the entire world in the palm of his hand. We don't know how much of the palm of his hand it takes up, but I'm assuming it's hardly anything. That's who my God is. So where can I go to flee his presence? Nowhere. If I go to Sheol, he's there. If I go to the highest of highs, he's there. Abiding is about learning to live into the reality that you cannot, no matter how hard you try, escape God's presence. John 14 paints it beautifully for what it means to abide in Christ and where we live now as being Christians. John chapter 14, Jesus says that he is in the Father as the Father is in him, and we are in Christ. So when God the Father looks at us, if we are Christians, if we are in Christ, he sees God the Father, he sees the Son, and then he sees us. And as if that was not good enough, he doesn't stop there. John chapter 14 also says that he gives us his Holy Spirit to live and indwell within us. So what does that mean for us as Christians? It means that we are literally encapsulated by the presence of God, that he goes before us, behind us, all around us, and yet sometimes we still, I still try to act like he's not working or moving or present, but he is far bigger than I can fathom and far closer than I could dream. What if we actually believe that? Like that the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, was living inside of us, comforting us in our sorrow, praying for us when we don't know what to pray, giving us life every single morning, and that same God is also the one who spoke all of creation into existence and is holding the whole universe's life in the palm of his hands more than I can do on my best days. <laughs> what if we actually believed that? What would happen for us? And yet we are like, why is it so hard? <laughs> Jesus invites us to abide, and John chapter 15 says that the result of abiding is to bear much fruit. So what is this fruit of the vine of Christ? Martha pointed out that part of it is inward transformation. 
the fruits of the Spirit. But in addition to that, it's also corporate transformation. As a church, as a community, does abiding in Christ, abiding in his love, does that affect the way that we love one another? Do people actually know us by our love for each other, that there is something different about us? And third, fruit is the advancement of the kingdom, multiplication, growing, spreading the vine, spreading the fruit across the world. Is your life producing fruit in those areas? Listen, if you can't tell, I'm not advocating for a works-based gospel. I'm saying that Jesus works. The vine works. He does what he wants to and accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. If you've been saved, you will change. And if your life's not producing fruit, ask yourself the question, are you connected to the vine? Are you ignoring it? Or have you ever been connected? Listen, life in Christ isn't just like a get out of hell free card that you get eternal life. Yes, you do get eternal life. But that living starts now. And if you've been made alive, what's the natural response if you've been made alive in the vine? You bear fruit. And we see this beautiful image of God as the vine dresser pruning back the branches. It says that he prunes back the ones that aren't bearing any fruit. But not just that, he actually prunes all of the ones that bear fruit so that they will bear more fruit. Gabe, will you throw up the picture of the vineyard? So this is a grape vineyard. Grapes, as far as the eye can see, it looks delicious. Hopefully it gives you some inspiration for lunch. Show the next picture. This, contrary to what you might think, is not a dead grapevine. This is a grapevine after pruning. A lot of people say that every single year, every year, you should prune back all growth from the vine 80 to 90%. 80 to 90%. And if you look on that picture, you'll notice that basically the way that a lot of people do it is that they trim back all of the branches completely except those that are six to eight inches apart. And they leave those, and on those, you'll see they leave a couple little spots where they can grow to buds. The kingdom of God is advancing and moving and multiplying. And so if you're, we're talking this year about making disciples. When it comes to the vine and the branches, we are called to spread out and multiply to move the gospel forward. God's not pruning you just to hurt you. He's pruning you for good. Alan Callahan, in a commentary I read, writes this. He said, unfruitful branches divert nutrients from those that are fruitful and burden the vine. Though alive, such branches are not well because they are not fruitful. And thus, their very existence inhibits future growth. You know, uh, some guys might relate to this, maybe girls too, but before Anna and I got married, I had a lot of old sports shirts from swimming from when I was like eight, you know, because you got the shirts all super big and had a lot of good memories to it. And I held on to them even though I didn't wear them because of their past value. And in the process of getting married and then moving houses, I've probably gone through three or four different levels of pruning and cleaning out my closet. I still have one shirt. Uh, it's got some holes in it, but it's great. 
But how often do we hold on to things in our lives that because of their past value, when it's not actually where the Spirit of God is moving? How often do we do that? In our personal lives, in our corporate lives, in our, I mean, small groups? I mean, how often do we hold on to things that God's calling us to let go of because he wants to do something far better than we can imagine? A quick Google search, you can try it after the sermon, about pruning grapevines will bring up an article, one of the first ones, it says, don't be timid when pruning grapes. Why? Because vines are resilient. The branches, we're not meant to like work on our own. We only work in context of the vine. So ask yourself, when was the last time that you took a step of faith where you thought God might be leading you somewhere to say, I, I trust the vine. And if he doesn't show up, I'm dead. <laughs> but let me tell you something, our vine is trustworthy and he's faithful. And pruning, it hurts, don't get me wrong, it hurts a lot. Uh, I feel like I've been in a season of immense pruning. And in the darkest places, in my most depressed places, in my saddest places, although sometimes it felt like God forsake me, I have never felt the intimacy and the presence of God like I have when I have been pruned. And you know what happens as a result of being connected to the vine? Growth, new life. That's what God's in the business of doing. The abundant life in Christ isn't one without suffering, but God takes what man meant for evil and turns it into good for his glory. You know, we, uh, as we close, I want us to make sure that we don't fall victim to the same lie of the enemy in the garden. It's so easy for us as Christians to get more caught up in what God says, potentially says no to than what he says yes to. And what I mean by that is so often when we feel the prompting of God to speak, our natural gut inclination is to say, well, like, did God really say that? What did the enemy say in the garden? Did God really say when you feel the prompting to go and share the gospel with someone or to pray with someone. Did God really say to go talk to that person? You don't know them. Did God really say I shouldn't yell at my kids when they're driving me crazy? Did God really say that? What if he did? What if he did? Trust the vine. We're walking right now through the farewell discourse, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he dies, and then later is, comes back. And we know that that's not the end. The enemy of God thought that he had won when Jesus was dead and in the grave, but Jesus triumphed over it all with a single breath, reflecting that same breath that Adam took. One breath, and he defeated all of death itself. And now all who put their hope and faith in Christ are given the same spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead and we will live forever with him. But that's not the end of the story either. We know that he is coming back. 
that vine that connected from the Garden of Eden will take us to the new heavens and new earth where God will restore all of creation and the old will pass away and the world will be perfect. Our hope is that we live into that and we get to be vessels bearing fruit of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And what do we do in the meantime? Jesus gives us one word, abide. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you love us and that you are for us. And I just ask in Jesus' name that you use us to bear fruit. Lord, help us to see you and know you are working things for good. We trust you. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to know more about this vine, this everlasting life that's found only in Jesus, or you're interested in getting baptized or joining the church, I'll be up front if you wanna talk. I'll invite Brad McKelvey and is Jan Region here as well? Is she here? Uh, great, will you come up here and stand? Uh, if you need someone to pray with you, both of these people are people who trust the Lord with their lives uh, and would love to pray with you.